Welcome back to the Iron Money Podcast. I'm sitting here with Marcus Applegate. This is your host, Donnie Tudal. Take two on the introduction of Marcus Applegate. We filmed the first one, figured out that we didn't actually have the microphone plugged in. So here we are again. Marcus, sorry about that. What's going on? No worries, man. It happens. Uh, so, a little bit of background on Marcus. Marcus and I have been working together and friends, best friends, for about five years. Um, basically, when I moved back from San Diego, I ran into him in the gym, aggressively, and uh, he's been lifting and coaching with me since, and he's coming on as one of our online coaches, so this is a great opportunity for you guys to get to know him a little bit. Marcus, tell us a little bit about yourself, your fitness journey. You know, starting as early as you can in the fitness stuff. And then, you know, we have the unique opportunity to listen to him transition that into what it was like to be a Marine and now a power lifter and a coach and et cetera. So let's get after it. All right. So I got into lifting. I was about nine. I was bullied a lot. Lifting weights helped. Uh, fast forward to high school. I fell in love with bench pressing. Uh... By the end of my senior year, I could bench press 405 pounds, and I weighed 180 pounds. So when uh, when did you actually get into weight training? Now? Nine. Tell us about that. Um, so when I was a kid, I was pretty small, and I had a really big mouth, and I couldn't back it up. So and then the kids started figuring that out. And I would start talking, and they'd just beat me up. <laughs> so I decided I wanted to change that, and my mom had these little dumbbells that latch onto your hand, and I found a pretty sturdy broomstick, and I would put those on the end of it, and I would lay down on this uh, footstool, and I would bench press like that. My first bench rack was a cardboard box. Sturdy cardboard box. Very sturdy cardboard box. Although it almost killed me one time. But uh, that was when we changed out the box. <laughs> we changed out the box for something better. Got a new box. <laughs> we used the chair. <laughs> so transitioning from nine-year-old benching with bitch mitten gloves attached to a broomstick. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what came next? Uh, so eventually I broke the broomstick because the amount of weight they got put on there. And was that a cool experience? No. I had splinters in my hand, and the stick actually went into my hand, and it was not fun. It was a very big eye-opener of, hey, I actually need to actually start using real equipment now. Was that when you knew you were going to be a Marine? No. That was <laughs> when I was 11. I decided to become a Marine at 13. When you were, like, um, doing your sets, would you, like, mark off sets on, like, the on like the floor or the wall with a crayon? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> nope. It was just... Okay, I want to keep going. You didn't know about crayons at this point. That makes oh, sense. I knew all about crayons. I just didn't know I liked to eat them yet. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so now you're hitting high school. So when I got to high school, uh, I found out that you can swap out your study hall for a weightlifting. And I immediately fell in love with every aspect of the gym. Um, I So much, in fact, that I didn't miss a single day of my freshman year just so I could go, just so I could go to the gym. And, like, I never ditched, I never played hooky, I never, anything, just so I could go to the waiter. And, right, 
it just became like the most important, the only thing that like made me happy, and it was it became a huge part of who I am. So moving forward from there, um, you got in the Marine Corps right out of high school. What was your what was your experience like there? Like, what was PT like? What was it like uh, having been prepared in the weight room to go into the Marine Corps? Things like that. So funny enough, those don't really transfer if you don't like to run. I am a notoriously bad runner. We know. And I hate running. No, now you know. But like going into the Marine Corps, I, I used to think I was okay at running. Nope. nope. Not by their standards. Nope. And if you can't run in the Marine Corps, but you're good at everything else, you're a shitty Marine. Which I just kind of had to accept. Which that's, I don't care. I don't care that my three-mile time wasn't 18 minutes. I don't care that it took me a long time to run three miles because once I get there, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's when the party starts. <laughs> um, so, once I got to the Marine Corps, um, strength was a pretty decent aspect of it, but like it didn't help with everything. But it helped with the grappling. It helped as a machine gunner because machine guns are heavy. Uh, like a, a 50 cal, a grounded 50 cal. Just the gun itself, the tripod, weighs up 84 pounds. Yeah. The receiver itself weighs 50 and the barrel weighs... No, it's 96 pounds. Because the barrel weighs 40... 46? Yeah. That is insane. Um... That might be wrong, but I don't... It's a lot of weight, regardless. You yeah. got two fifty-pound pieces of metal running around with. Yeah. So when you you tested very well though, when you took what's it called? What's the test when you joined? So it's called the ASVAB, and then so based off the ASVAB, you get a you get something called a GT score. Mm -hmm. Your GT score is it tells whoever's looking at that test how capable you are of learning new things and immediately applying. And your average GT score is about 75 to 90. Mm -hmm. I got a 127. And my recruiter told me with this score, you can go do anything you want. Like you can go to military intelligence, you can go do special forces, you can go do whatever you want. And I was like, I want to be a machine gunner. And he went, that's like, that's really low. I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and he went, okay. So they sent me through boot camp. Into SOI. And when I got an SOI, when you get to the certain part where you break off from being a basic rifleman to a specialty, I actually had a an instructor try to make me go into a different one, uh -huh. the machine gunner. He tried to make me a 52, which is basically a tow gunner. You shoot giant tow missiles off the top of the MRAP or Humvee or whatever, which is pretty cool. That's not fucking awesome. It did look pretty cool, but I wanted to be a machine gunner. And so at the time I was a PFC. No, I was a private. And I didn't hit the PFC yet. So he calls me up. And he goes, you're going to be a 52. I was like, no, Sergeant, I want to be a 31. And he goes, so the MLS for machine gunner is 0331. Mm -hmm. The MLS for a tow gunner is 0352. So that's what 52 and 31 refer to. What's the 03 stand for? Uh, 03 is infantry. So okay. in, in Marine Corps, if you have an 03 as an MLS, you're infantry. And he tells me, he's like, you're going to be 52. And I said, no, Sergeant, I want to be a 31. He's like, well, I'm telling you, you're going to be 52. And I told him, like, I'm going to, I'm going to fail that. And then when I get dropped, I'm going to pick up as a 31 again. 
the, the 31 instructor was standing right there, and he goes, just let him be a 31. <laughs> so I, I became 31. Are you stubborn? A little bit. <laughs> you know this. <laughs> Go ahead. T- tell people how stubborn I am. <laughs> Uh, I once watched him chug a bottle of maple syrup because sugar-free maple syrup because I told him he couldn't or that he wasn't a real Marine if he couldn't. And he he did it. He won. He won. I did. He really won. The next day, it sounded like he won, too. (laughs) Oh, the next day was horrible. So, Super Troopers did not do that challenge justice. Nope. Nope. There is is a hangover period from that. So, anyway, back to that. So, after I became a 31... They sent me to 29 Palms, which the first day in 29 Palms. Get close to the mic. So my first night in 29 Palms, the night we got there, we're in our rooms, we're setting it up, and one of the senior machine gunners comes in, and he, he welcome, welcomes us to 3-4 Lima Company. And so the call sign for 3-4 is dark side. Oh, and as he's walking out of the room, he turns around and he says, <laughs> oh, by the way, welcome to dark side. I shit you not. He grabs his bottom lip, holds it down and tattooed on the inside of his mouth is dark side <laughs> on the inside of his lip. That's fucking fantastic. And me and my roommate just looked at that. We looked at each other and we went, oh, no. <laughs> and that's basically how the first six months of that went. So six months from the t- from the day we got there, we got on buses and went to Afghanistan. Six months out, we we're yeah. six months in the Marine Corps. Do you feel like you were prepared at that point? No, no, not even. A Is little there bit. any way that you can get prepared for overseas combat in in country? Like in this country? Yes. No. You have to be there to. You have to understand, like, because. They they will the Marine Corps will send you through all the best, most accurate training they can. They have multi million dollar cities built out of containers that they'll send you to to teach you how to like, how to patrol, how to search for things, how to observe, how to fight in an urban environment. Mm-hmm. But it's all controlled. Every aspect of that training is controlled and supervised. Uh-huh. And once you, they send you over and you walk out of the wire the first time, that leash is gone. That safety net that you have of, okay, this might have hurt me, there's no redo. Yep. There's, no, there's no buffer. There's no shield. There's no nothing. It's just you and whatever you're going for. And it's, there's no way to, I can't even put it into words. Like, yeah. there's no way to prepare somebody for that. Yeah. Like, they can do the best they can, but truly, no. Yeah, absolutely. When you're walking on the ground and it, like, you know that one step and you hear it clear, you feel the ground depress and all of a sudden, <laughs> there's. That's crazy. Did you ever step on something like that? Nope. <laughs> Thank God. I know people will step on shit and sometimes they don't work or sometimes you can, like, get out of it. Oh, yeah. I understand but. Oh, I never did. I was I was lucky, but I had friends who did, and yeah, no. And sometimes we'd find pressure plates that were old, or pressure plates that were disconnected, or I, this one time, an engineer he's searching through the sand, 
and he finds a pressure plate and he sweeps the dirt off the top of it and he looks straight down at it and he goes, aha! (laughs) (laughs) I will never forget this man as long as I live. (laughs) This is the best reaction to an ID we ever saw. And he goes, aha! And we're all just standing there like, uh, back up, get the hell out of here. Uh-uh. And <laughs> so, what the hell was that guy's name? I can picture his face, I just don't remember his name. We, we can call him Daddy for this one. So after that, the way he started looking for IEDs was he would just stomp in the area where he wanted him to look. I'm not kidding. We, we had him, so when we walk over there, when we're outside the wire, we use metal detectors. Jesus Christ. And he would, he would like wand it, and then when he wouldn't get a hit, he would just take his foot and just start stomping. But he wouldn't warn you when he would do this, he would just start doing it. And a 40 pound IED, which is about how much one of those five gallon yellow tubs weighs. Huh. Oh, did you, know, you don't know what that put IDs would be. So it's a five gallon water jug. About this big. Oh, shit. It's yellow. That's what they fill with HME. Homemade explosives. And they bury that right underneath the pressure plate. So the way he would search for it is he would just start stomping. He wouldn't tell you he was going to do it. He would just start doing it. So if he hit one, it would blow all of us up. But he just accepted it. And the first time he did this, we shit ourselves. Because we're just <laughs> like, dude, what are you doing? And he, he's like, if it's going to go, it's going to go. Well, it doesn't have to go with us in it. <laughs> Just because you've accepted it doesn't mean we have. That's funny. But after that, we, that just became his thing. That's funny. So. so when you were overseas, like, what was, like, how did you stay in shape? What type of stuff did you do? Did you guys have, like, weight room access? Or you had, what, what was that like? Oh, okay. So the, the second time and the third time I went, we had legit weight rooms. We had legit weight room equipment. Uh-huh. The first time, we literally built a weight room out of giant logs, um, uh, irrigation conduit, big concrete circles that uh-huh. weighed like 150 pounds a piece, resistance bands, sandbags, and fence sticks. Nice. Like it was about as. Prison yard as you can get. Nice. What type of stuff would you do on that? Oh, I didn't really have time to do that. They kept me so busy. Uh, So my schedule over there was I'd wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I would eat real quick because I had to go to the briefing for the patrol we were about to go on. We'd we'd set out on patrol at 6.30 for anywhere from 2 to 8 hours. When it's 130 degrees. And with nice. with that, any on patrol, you have to carry at least two days worth of water, which is 24 bottles. Each bottle is a liter. And you have to carry that in a backpack. As a machine gunner, I have to carry the machine gun, which is 27.1 pounds, just by itself. And then I have to carry 600 rounds <laughs> on me, which 100 rounds of 7.62 is 7 pounds a piece. So that's 42 pounds of ammo. The, uh, the flat, uh, the plate carrier I had to wear weighed 60 pounds. I had to carry a rifle strapped to the backpack. And then, so there, 
I'm walking around with anywhere from 200 to 300 pounds of stuff, depending on where we're going. So as soon as I get back from that patrol, I'd immediately go back up on post. And then for six hours, then they'd take us down and then we'd eat. And then in the middle of the night, they'd wake us up and send us back up on post again. And it was just that every day. And then that was the first half of the deployment. The second half of the deployment, when we stopped patrolling as much, uh, then I was able to start working out again. Uh, so the way I would, what I would do is I would do bent over rows with that concrete mm -hmm. uh, conduit. And then we, <laughs> we broke all the resistance bands in like the best way possible. I got to watch all of them snap my squad leader in his back, which was hilarious. Sorry, Jack. But, um, and then one day everybody was complaining that the conduit was too heavy. So I picked it up and then I strong man rolled it up my chest and I shoulder pressed it and I slammed it into the ground and I broke it into pieces. I got little pieces. I was like, there you go. And my platoon sergeant actually kind of got mad at me for that. He's like, what if that would have hurt you? Didn't know what it hurt. I don't know. I didn't think about that. I just found a way to make it better. So there was that. And then the amount that you would sweat over there, it, it, it kept you in shape. My legs were got so strong over there. Jeez. So where where was your first deployment to? Afghanistan. Uh, the upper Grest Valley, just south of Sting. You did three, though, right? Mm -hmm. What were the other two, too? The second one was in Musakela, uh, which is... I don't remember the exact spot. Where is that? It's in the Helm province again. And then the third deployment was into Sana'a, Yemen, at the embassy. What was it like being at an embassy? Is this where you stayed, like, basically in a hotel? Yeah. It was not fun. Not fun? No. Staying with State Department people, not not enjoyable. And kind of like, what, uh, 13 hours? Those guys just, like, assholes to you all the time? Always. Yeah. And nothing like 13 hours, because they at least respected those guys enough to not talk to them like they were nothing. The way they talked to us, we were a bunch of kids, but we're a bunch of kids standing on the roof with machine guns trying to protect you, so you're welcome. Yeah, thanks, Dick. Yeah. So, was it when you were overseas or when you came back stateside that you transitioned into a um, instructor? So, all the instructor courses I went to was back stateside. Uh -huh. um, when I got back from the first deployment, I got sent to... Uh, Marine Corps Rifle the, the coaches course for Marine Corps Marksmanship I mm -hmm. uh, went through that and then became a certified coach for Marksmanship so anywhere out to 500 yards with the M16 or M4 and then after my second deployment I came back I went to No. Nope. After the coaches course, we went to division schools, which taught us more about machine guns and how to teach those. Mm -hmm. 
And then after my third deployment, I got put into seventh seventh Marine Regiment uh, Gunner's Cadre, which it's just a like a small group of like thirteen of us who our job is to train the battalion, uh, keep them up to date on their rifle qualls, on their machine gun knowledge, anything to do with firearms. We did. Which that was the best detail of my entire Marine Corps career. It was amazing. Did you guys do a lot of pistol work, or was it primarily rifle? Mostly rifles, because very few people in the Marine Corps will ever see a pistol. But there were times where we had to go like train people how to use pistols. Do you guys carry a sidearm, or some of us did? Yeah, that was just an option. Uh, as a, so as a machine gunner, I carried a pistol every time I needed one. Yeah. Uh, my third deployment, I had one the whole time. I feel like it would be so weird to go without a pistol. Like, just with being here, like, that's all we walk around with is pistols and our carries. You don't walk around with, like, an M4 strapped to your chest in the United so, States. So, in relation to that, it's awkward for me to walk around without a rifle. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm used to having a rifle on me all the time. Well, that's funny. Um, so, with the Gunner's Cadre, what we would do is we would go, they would send us out to a range. And we would go set up the ammo, we'd set up the course, we'd set up the targets and everything, and then we would sit there and wait for the regimental, whoever, to come out and uh-huh. we'd train them. And we're training everybody the same, across the board, whether you're a captain or a private. You all get the same training. And it was awesome. Like, sometimes it would rain, and they wouldn't show up. And we have all this ammo, and they're like, do something with it. So <laughs> it just became a range day for us. It was great. Shoot the hell out of it. That's great. People, okay, so in the Marine Corps, guys won't show up because it's fucking raining. So in 29 Palms and it rains, it's like a flash flood. It, because it doesn't rain often, but when it does, it just goes. So what if it rains overseas when you guys are out? Like, but overseas is different. Yeah, they do it anyways. Yeah, overseas, it's, it's going to happen. Mission is above everything else. Yeah. So they, they didn't like force training in that or anything like that when you were stateside? Got it. Interesting. And so stateside, you have a bunch of rules and regulations you have to follow, or they have to follow. And hmm. Very interesting. So how long were you an instructor for? Uh, six months. I was in charge of the machine gun aspect of it. And then that ended when you got out? Yep. So you were an instructor for the last six months that you were in. So how did that impact your outlook on, you know, working with people as a coach, doing strength conditioning type stuff? So it taught me how to understand how to communicate with different people. Because not everybody understands everything the same way. Mm -hmm. And... So going back to like firearm stuff, you want to make that training as stressless as possible mm-hmm. because what's what benefit is it going to do this Marine if I'm, if I'm stressing him out so bad when he's messing up with the machine gun that he's already stressed out about using it because he has no clue what's going on. So if I can just calm that down, mm-hmm. if I can like clear his or her mind, and just like make them more comfortable behind the gun, their performance downrange will reflect that. Same so, as in the weight room. If you're bench pressing and you're 
your shoulder blades aren't squeezed. And I and I, I look at you and I knife hand you in the face and say, squeeze your fucking shoulder blades. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do it yeah. as good as you could. I'm like, hey, okay. So pull them back, push them down, and then pull the bar into your chest and feel how tight you get. Yeah. So walking them through that baby steps yeah. helps a lot. When would you start to apply stress to these people while you were teaching them how to shoot? <laughs> so we had things called stress shoots. Oh, there's actually a word for it. This is a thing. (laughs) So it was it was one of the um, more difficult ranges that we had to teach, and we kept getting in trouble for it because what we would have to do is stressful. We would literally (laughs) that's what we got told. We would have to stress you out before you got to the before you got to the firing line. So what we would do is we would run you out into the desert away from the range, and we would. Start yelling at you and make you work out, doing push-ups, jump jacks, all this kind of stuff in full gear. And then we would run you back to the firing line. You'd pick up your rifle, load it, and you'd try to shoot unknown distances. And if you couldn't hit it, you failed. You had to go do it again. (laughs) So one day, we made this training so intense that none of the officers that we were running through this passed. Officers. Officers. Huh. They, our gunner came to us and he was just like, I'm going to give you guys a gift. You guys get to train a bunch of lieutenants today in stress shoots. So for so a bunch of, took advantage of that. Oh, God, yes. For a bunch of corporals and sergeants to basically haze lieutenants at the behest of the battalion gunner or the regimental gunner, it's like a gift. That's wonderful. But we, they came back and they complained about it. And our gunner came to our office the next day. And he was like, what'd you guys do? None of them passed. And they all complained. So, you guys are going to go back out and do it. But this time, don't do that again. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> yes. More or less. That's funny. It was great. How much did you have to scale back? Oh, we didn't even do anything. We are just like, okay, run over there and touch the Humvee and come back. <laughs> If you want to, you want to put the training list back on. That's fine. Okay, go shoot it. What was shocking to me, and one of the stories you were telling me the other night, it clicked for me how corporate the military is. Dude. I have no idea. Like it, it was shocking to me how that whole structure really actually is. Made me look at it very different. I would not do well in the military. No, you would not. <laughs> no, would the way not. you like to talk to people would not go well. Yeah. Honest and concise and what? Yes. <laughs> so Fuck you, sir. Well, yeah. But like, whenever they tell you something, even though you disagree with it, you have to do it. Yeah. Doesn't matter because it's an order. Yeah. That's yeah. That's that was the biggest change between going from mili- the Marine Corps back to civilian life was uh-huh. figuring that out. That's one of those things for me, man. Like, if I if I'm told to do a job, all right, I got I understand that I got to do it. But if I think it is so fucking far off. That's where the issue started. It's not like, oh, we just kind of do it differently. Like, no, I generally disagree with this at the root of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that fucking sucks. I would not do well with that. And not every job has a purpose. Sometimes the job is literally to waste your time. Yep. Like, how many times I've been told to go mop a parking lot? I said it. You heard me right. Mop a parking lot. In 29 bombs. In 29 bombs. Or go rake the sand. Go mop the concrete walkway. 
Yeah. Like sweeping it off makes sense. But mopping it? Why? <laughs> because just he like said steaming. so. That works. <laughs> just steaming. Some days it would. Jesus Christ. That's funny. So, as you start to wrap up your time as a Marine or in the Marine Corps, and you start to get out, what does what uh, what does life look like at that point as far as like options, fitness, career path? So, I want getting out, I knew I wanted to be a personal trainer. Oh, actually, yeah, I did not know that. Um, because I love teaching people, I love like watching. Those like little accomplishments that people get like day in and day out, and eventually builds into oh, this legitimately made you feel better as yourself. Yep, absolutely. Like seeing that in the Marine Corps, like just with how they handle a rifle, because mm-hmm. every Marine is a rifleman. That bullshit. But <laughs> we're gonna try. <laughs> <laughs> but just like seeing the confidence that people get, like when okay, I can, I can. I know how to manipulate this rifle that I'm supposed to know how to use that I haven't touched since boot camp. Yeah. Or now you know the ins and outs of it. You can take it apart. You can put it back together. You can clean it. You can nice. you can put rounds in the magazine. You can load the magazine back, charge the rifle, and then you can put it to your shoulder and shoot a target that's 300 yards away that's a human size from the standing. Yeah. Like seeing that somebody accomplish that. There's a lot of pride there as an instructor or as a coach. Oh, for sure. That's awesome. And then is is like ten times better when you can show somebody like how to take the tremors out of their legs when they go to sit down. How mm-hmm. to when they like they can barely lift their arm past like their belly button and then all of a sudden they're taking a twenty pound dumbbell and doing flies with it. Yeah. It's huge. And while you were an instructor, like, what was your, like, that biggest accomplishment, like, thing that you were most proud of that you helped somebody accomplish? Like, do you have something like that where you're like, oh, this is my moment where I was like, this is probably one of the cooler things that I was able to accomplish as an instructor? So the coolest thing I ever got to accomplish as an instructor was it's not really something that I taught someone how to do, but they took us out to a range one day, and they didn't tell us who was coming out. And when they when we got there, there was a school bus there. And when we got there, we started taking all the machine guns out of the back of the Humvee and all this stuff. And the school bus doors opened, and a bunch of like old timers walked out. Oh, that's awesome! It, so all these old timers are uh, they're veterans from yeah. the past. Uh-huh. So there there was a guy that I worked with from he was in the Chosen Reservoir. Like the worst battle of Marine Corps history. Really? Look it up. You'll love it. Huh. Um, Where was that at? Uh, Korea. Okay. There was another guy there from Kuwait City. He was a corpsman there. That was another really bad battle of Marine Corps history. It was in Vietnam. Okay. So we're talking Korean. Korean, Vietnam. Vietnam. And these these men just came and they're standing in a, this, this school circle immediately. And we, our job was to teach them machine gun stuff. Uh-huh. So we come up and we start, I start going over the 50 cal with them. And as I'm talking, I'm like, I'm reading the, like what they're doing. And they're not listening to a word I'm saying. And they're just looking at the gun. And I looked at them and I was just like, you guys know more about this than I'll ever know. You guys just want to like 
get into it and just play with it? They're like, absolutely. <laughs> and this guy just walks up. He pops the top cover. He checks it, closes it, and then he just starts disassembling the machine gun like it was yesterday. That he does the last time he did. He did everything perfectly. No shit. No shit. He even took the bolt apart. That's fine. Taking the bolt apart in a 50 cal machine gun, unless you know how to do it, is insanely hard. <laughs> There's really? so many pieces of that thing. And he just, just pulls it all apart. And he just turns, he's, it's apart. And he stands up and he looks at me and he went, thank you, young man. And he just puts his hand on my shoulder and he thanked me. And then he walked away and he looked at his friend. He was like, okay, go put it back together. And I got to watch, like, just, I got to watch, like, these guys' youth return to their, just return to them. How old were these guys, like, 60, 70? 60, 70. The guy that was in Chosen Reservoir, his, like, he, he had, like, severe frostbite damage to his hands. Uh-huh. And, like, he, he got on the Mark Paint. So they, we had a Mark Paint team sitting there as well, which is a belt-fed grenade launcher. And none of these <laughs> guys had ever seen one because That's it didn't come out. So I think. And he's looking at that thing. And he looks at the Marine that was helping me, uh, the other machine gun instructor. And he goes, tell me about bits. So they all zeroed in on that. It's fucking awesome. That's what it is. And (laughs) so he start after the, the explanation of it, he starts getting on it and he's like, as best as he can, he's like like manipulating all the stuff inside of it, and like he just loved it. Uh-huh. And then they just looked at us. They're like, "We don't want to shoot him, but we want to watch you guys shoot him." Interesting. They're like, okay, well, they don't want to deal with the recoil. Like you have oh, to. There's right. so much shoulder pressure you have to have, really, on, on a fifty cal in order to like hold it down. Interesting. So, when you put a gun, a machine gun on a tripod, you put it on something called a teeny. It stands for traverse, traversing and elevation. It's a little mechanism that it raises and lowers the barrel, yeah. moves it back and forth. There is there's play in that, mm-hmm. and if you can't hold it tight against the teeny, your shot pattern will be like this. It'll look like you're shooting out of a wet pool noodle. Interesting. But once you can suck it down. They go straight. Uh-huh. And the amount of pressure it takes to straighten one of those, they weren't willing to do. But they just wanted to hear it again. They especially wanted to hear the Mark 19, which is probably one of the coolest inventions ever. Interesting. And then... Is that like a thump? That's like... It goes... So the Mark 19 is a... It's a very light thump, but because of how big the, the bolt inside of that thing weighs 30 pounds. Just the bolt itself. Uh-huh. And because of how much inertia it generates going back and forth, mm-hmm. the whole thing rocks. Interesting. So if you're not holding on to that thing, it'll the front of the tripod will literally start to jump on you. <laughs> and it's not loud, but it goes... Thum, 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 thum. That's the noise it makes. Uh-huh. And as it's doing that, the whole thing's going like this. And you're <laughs> like... <laughs> so... That's sweet. That was awesome. Would that be considered a machine gun? So this is yeah, belt-fed machine gun. It's a belt-fed machine gun grenade launcher. <laughs> too fucking cool. It's amazing. Zombie apocalypse goes down, that's what I want. <laughs> I don't know where we're going to find one, but deal. We'll figure it out. I know how to take it apart. There we go. <laughs> if you pull the sear apart, we're screwed. That's not yet. No. So, 
So you're that's that's a cool ass story. Um, what? How about like as a as a coach in the weight room? What was your biggest accomplishment with that? Like same question, just instead of Marine Corps instructor, weight room coach. So I have this client who. How do I put this? She's extremely closed down. Mm-hmm. Her like her self esteem super super low because she's been beaten down her entire life. Mm-hmm. And when she started working with me, she just wanted to get a little stronger and look a, feel a little bit better in her own skin. And every little accomplishment that she reaches, every time the weight increases, every time she can do more reps on something. I, I like see that spark of life come back to her face yep. and just like the way she watches changed, the way she looks at everything has changed. The way she approaches things in life has changed. Her day-to-day life has increased dramatically. Why do you think that is? I, mean, I think there's a lot of people, maybe not with her story specifically, but with a similar enough story and understanding kind of, how that comes to be, I think, is a big deal for people here. So, everybody has this perception of what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. And we all have our own comfort zones. And you do what you know you're capable of inside your own comfort zone. When somebody starts to open up that comfort zone and start putting things in there that you're not used to, that that's challenging for you, and even, like, they start to pull you outside of it. And you start accomplishing things that you never even thought of that you could do. Just little victories like that eventually start to build up. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, I'm not going to build this entire structure out of bricks at one time. I'm going to put little tiny bricks into it and eventually it's going to build and stack up and stack up and stack up. Eventually, now I have a brick, now I have a barricade, now I have a wall. Now I have a brick building. How long have you been working with her for? Off and on for about four years. And now versus then, how big, genuinely, like how big of an impact has that made in her life, life outside of the gym, what she's accomplished in the gym, affecting her day to day? Dramatically. It is like everything about her life, she's changing on her own because of little, like the victories that she's made. And here, I think. So she's learning more what she is genuinely capable of by being pushed out of her comfort zone in a controlled setting. And she's seeing that she's able to apply that outside of the gym. Yes. And she is tackling that in every aspect of her life now. And that's one of the most important things. I mean, our, our, our motto is, you know, we give you the tools to build a stronger life. And I think with that, I mean, you, you have helped her create her own learn how to use her own tools to grow as a human being in the weight room, which is the controlled environment for what the outside world really is like and how you can take that and just apply it. Cause if you fail in the weight room, like it's not a huge deal, mm-hmm. but being able to be in a setting where somebody's going to guide you through that and you build that confidence and you build that know-how that when you get out of that comfort zone a little bit, and you apply it, it's going to impact. And that's, that is, so, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I got a client to bench this much or squat or deadlift. It was anytime I think a good coach talks about their biggest accomplishment is going to be, this is how we changed their life. And it has nothing to do with the weight room. 
and with especially with her knowing who she is that's that's an amazing thing to be able to see that and uh, i think i think that is the thing that so many people get confused about like the biggest accomplishments in the fitness world don't have anything to fucking do with the fitness world it was just a catalyst it was just a tool to fix something else in your life and sometimes it can be a little bit more direct like weight loss or getting your food together correctly or like just being healthier but that's still like a lifestyle change versus something you changed in the weight room it was inspired to become a piece of your life that you weren't happy with and you stood up and took the opportunity and took the chance and risked changing that for the better and that's that's the type of shit that i think is amazing was it anything complex or was it more of a simple Here's what we're going to do. Show up, work hard. It was complex. Yeah. How so? Getting her to allow herself to be pushed outside of her comfort zone mm-hmm. was super hard. Yeah. And like, I had to, like, it wasn't just something that I was like, okay, today we're going to go after it. Mm-hmm. It's, okay, I'm going to have to, like, trick you into doing things that you're not comfortable doing yep. enough to where. Now you're coming to me and you're wanting harder workouts. Yes. And the manipulate, like people say manipulation and automatically, as soon as you said, oh, I'm manipulating this person. It's always a negative connotation immediately. But as coaches and as people that are trying to help people, you have to manipulate people to get out of their own way to a degree. That is a complex thing. But as far as like things that you were doing in the weight room, was it super crazy all over the place, all these exotic things, or was it simple movement that you were able to come in and be aggressive with? Oh, it was just simple stuff. It was like how to squat differently, all the different ways you can put your feet. Okay, mm-hmm. now which one of those felt better? Yep. Okay, the reason that felt better was because now you're using this, 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 and this, and you're engaging this, 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 and this. Yep. And I'm going to jump back for a second to the word manipulate. The word manipulate has such a storm cloud over it around yes. its around its meaning yep. everything you come into contact with in your life you are manipulating in one way or another 100 there is so many ways to take the word manipulate yep. manipulate can can be bad it can be very toxic to people of course because people abuse it and they will take advantage of it 100%. however when we're going to go back to firearms Anytime you pick up a firearm, you're manipulating it in some way. 100%. If you learn how to manipulate it in a safe, positive way, firearms will change your life. Yep. Like for me, gun or firearms have been like a source of peace to me my entire life. And every time I see one, I immediately want to know exactly how it works. I want to know exactly what it can do. I want to know everything about it because once I can safely manipulate every aspect of that firearm, the, the fear of it goes away. Yep. And the actual definition of manipulate is handle or control, typically in a skillful manner. And there is nothing, I mean, that, is, that is like saying, you know, I'm probably going to cause some shit here, but like, oh, this gun is bad. No, this gun is a tool. What you do with it, how you manipulate, or how you use that gun could be good or bad. Yes. If you go out and shoot something for your family, that's great. If you go rob a bank with it, probably not as great. Um, But the ability to get somebody out of their own way to allow their own growth, that is manipulation. Asking them, you know, 
pursuing somebody for a relationship and getting them to say yes. That's manipulation. That is a manipulation. Um, having a conversation with your boss when you are negotiating, negotiation is manipulation. For sure. Period. Well, okay, well, I want to hire you at 15. Well, fuck you, I want to hire 22. Well, why do you think you're worth 22? Let's have a conversation. You manipulate that for your, I mean, it could be good, it can be bad, and just because it's for your benefit does not make it bad. So, like, the, the making more money thing might not be the best example for that. But if you know you're worth more and you got to take care of your family, yeah, of course, you're going to go and try to have a conversation or you're going to try and get a person to, you know, hey, you need to widen out your squat stance two inches on each foot because it's going to allow you to get deeper, which is going to take care of your hip impingement, which can take care of your hip pain. You manipulated them into not hurting. Exactly. So and I think a lot of people don't get that. Yeah, so to some summarize that up so other people understand it, the, the overall, like, justification manipulation depends on the com- the objective of the person doing it. Mm-hmm. Like if I have good intentions and I manipulate you, so what? Yep. I manipulated you in a way that made you better. Yep. Great example. Um, the group that I work with, um, Impact Fitness Coaching Academy, they manipulated me into charging more. And I've been able to do a better job of taking care of more clients because these guys manipulated me into charging more money for my services. And that's a big deal. And then they got me to pay them to learn how to do more shit. So everyone's getting taken care of here. And I was manipulated in a very, very good way. Sometimes, I mean, you can totally get manipulated poorly. But regardless, we were able to manipulate a situation with a client to help them improve their life. And we keep it simple. And we keep it reliable. And we keep it productive. And simple, reliable, productive, those those are the pillars that we build this on. And we check everything against it. And if you have something that you can simply accomplish, you show up and you know it's going to be there, you know it's reliable, and it's going to produce for you, that's it. I mean, show up. That's easy. I mean, it might be hard work, but that is very, very, very reliable. And that's that's how you had success with your person. That's how you had success with her working through that type of stuff and continually working through that stuff because she knows that she can rely on it. She knows that it's going to be work at the piece and that it is going to produce the results that she wants. So that's, that's awesome. Sure. Um, Can we take a break? Yep. Come back in a second. <laughs>